This is Someone Like Me, End Slavery Tennessee's podcast that empowers survivors of domestic human trafficking by telling their stories. At the same time, we want to educate listeners on the truths about this crime. I'm your host, Leslie Eiler Thompson. And I'm Jerry Smith, founder of End Slavery Tennessee. Today's episode introduces Joan, a graduate of End Slavery Tennessee, and such an inspiring woman. When Leslie and I sat down with her and heard her story, one thing that struck me was this. It's not unusual for people to view those involved in drugs and prostitution with disdain, just as they view human trafficking survivors with great sympathy. As Joan tells her story, we see how being trafficked at a young age can easily lead to addictions and sometimes a form of prostitution that is more a trap than a rational choice. I'm particularly moved by what Joan is doing now, how she's used her past experiences to build a business that makes products crafted with hope in mind. You'll just have to listen on to hear what that business is. As always, please be aware that the subject matter in these stories can be graphic and intense. If you have children present, you may want to listen with earphones or wait until no children are around. Also, the material may be triggering for trauma survivors. We hope that for many, these stories are empowering and enlightening. So here's our conversation with Joan. Can't wait for you to meet her and hear her story. The whole point of End Slavery is to help survivors come to a place of of healing and gaining choice again, learning how to come out of a place that maybe they didn't have choice. What did your life look like before you were involved in the life that you're here now to grow out of? I was born in a family with domestic violence. I witnessed a lot of violence between my parents as well as my mother was stabbed by my father. And then I went through where we were stripped from my father. I also went through a lot of depression and feeling abandonment. I had my first child when I was 12 years old and the father was 19. And then also from then that point, I got into a marriage and it was a controlling marriage. Myself was abused. And I used to hear of my ex-husband would tell me things about stories with like other women, like what he would like have them do um, as far as bring them to Nashville, have them doing sex acts and things like that. I never looked at it back then when I was with him. And then we end up having children and the violence kept going, escalating. I have a brother who is doing life in prison because of domestic violence. So it's been a history of that. And also with different things with like how to survive, what would you do to survive, how to take care of your family, coming from a family that, like, believed in, and still to this day, um, we are taught that if you are out here talking to this guy, make sure he can give you something, and do not be performing sex acts or things like that nature, Uh, make sure you get something out of it, so we... At a young age, I never did look at it as a way of that was kind of setting me up for that lifestyle. And these are adults in your life that are are saying that to you, that are setting that expectation? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I found myself being molested, raped constantly as a young girl. That even led me to having the baby at 12 years old. Um, my daughter wasn't born from rape, but it was still that mindset where there was older men manipulating, taking advantage, and things like that. I found myself coming to end slavery. Um, I went through a dark spot in my life. And after doing the trial for my brother, being a witness, losing my mother, and I was with my husband then, who dealt with a lot of addiction to drugs, and I kept constantly trying to get him out of that life. I found myself slipping into drugs and alcohol abuse, and then I ended up losing my children, my home. And at that time, I had got addicted to crack cocaine. And then that's when then my ex-husband would have me doing like acts for money to supply our habits, living on the streets and different things of that nature. So that's how you came to be in the life. Something that you've mentioned is that that was a short term thing, but it seems like kind of your whole life there's been a sort of this expectation set, which I don't know that we we hear this a lot that adults are, maybe they're not the ones, air quotes, actively aggressing or or the ones that are actively um, trafficking humans, but there's a sort of this expectation that's set that leads into that um, life. And they're people you presumably trust, Mm -hmm. you know? And what's also kind of, that's what also further makes it sad is maybe they, they themselves have gone through their whole life thinking that. Yes. What's the number one thing you've learned? You've been within Slavery Tennessee now for two years. What would you say the number one thing is you've learned while you've been here, whether it be through your experience, through what people expect, like what the myths are, through other people's experience? One thing that I have learned when I got out that lifestyle I actually was strangled and almost died, and I just ran from that moment. After I was able to get free, I ran, and I didn't look back. From that moment, I went to the YWCA. I actually had my husband arrested, and then from there, they referred me to end slavery because of the um, sex trafficking and prostitution. And so being with end slavery... I learned to take my power back, and I'm in control of my life. I learned to help myself along the way as well as help others Mm -hmm. to get the awareness out there, to use my voice, and to also keep going on this journey and to do everything that I have put my mind to that I can accomplish. And since then, I have got my GED. I have finally got divorced. I got my kids back. I have my home. I'm working on a book. I'm advocating for other women on my own in the community, as well as making, like, I learned the gift and the talent of sewing, and I make my own prayer pillows. Really? Yes. Oh, that is awesome. Are you selling these, or are you are you giving yes, them to... Yes, um, I sell them, and then I also give them away. So it's not a, just about money with me. I want to give back to what was given to me, and I believe firmly in the pay it forward. That is beautiful. What do you wish people knew about trafficking? 
a lot of times it's, and I wrote this in my book the other day, it's about mindset. And a lot of times people don't wake up and say that I want to be an addict. They don't wake up and say I want to be a survivor of domestic violence or I want to be prostituting. Most of the time there was somebody that started something along the way that manipulated them, that found them powerless. Maybe they was broken. Maybe they came from a broken home. And so they used that against them. And a lot of times we are not looking to find, to get into that environment. We're trapped because we want somebody to love us. We want somebody to protect us. And so that's how they draw us in. And you can't tell who a trafficker is. You can't tell who a domestic violence person is. They don't have like no labels on them. They look like mm -hmm. your everyday people. And so you're still being manipulated and you're powerless. And then you find yourself in a lifestyle that sometimes is hard to get out of. It has a hold on you. And sometimes there's those that never had a chance to make it out. Mm. It's hard for people to wrap their minds around that, but yet we can all be manipulated sometimes. And so by starting from that yes. with, you remember when maybe you were manipulated into, I don't know, buying something that you didn't necessarily want because the salesperson, I think if we can start from there, you know, the a common ground, it's a little easier to understand. Okay. Well, in the same way, mm -hmm. you know, these, this is what's happening uh, yes. in this way. We often hear from survivors on this show about their past, and we talk a lot about the past because it's important to understand the future. And so I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the future. What is it that you want to be doing? Are you looking forward to it? Are you hopeful? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, I'm already building for the future. I'm involved with a, another organization that helps debt-free investments um, teach you how to be financially stable, invest in your children's future. So I'm also doing that because I don't want my kids to have that lifestyle or to put them at risk of being how I was and coming from a poverty family forced to do things. And then also um, I am looking into going to school further my education at first, I didn't know what I actually wanted to do because I love so much doing ministry. But now, recently, with losing a dear friend to drug overdose, it has led me to actually wanting to do a drug counselor mm -hmm. as well as ministry. And that way, I can still be doing things that I love with, like, helping women who've been through the walks of life I've been through. Mm -hmm. And then maybe one day even having a place where they can feel safe to come and join hands with all the other organizations that are out here being another stepping stone for those women. Hmm. Something you mentioned at one point was what would your life have looked like had you not gone to the YWCA? Do you want to talk about that? Yes. I think about it all the time. What if... I didn't decide to run that day. What if I didn't surrender? Because really it was not me. It was the grace of God. I had prayed every day when I was out there to like help me. This was not me. I hated looking at myself in the mirror because I knew that that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. So every day I prayed and prayed and was like, this is not me. 
And sometimes I'm reminded that if I would have stayed, there's no telling where I would have been. There's no telling the different things that could have happened to me with being beaten or kidnapped or anything like that because I wasn't in a safe place. And every time that I had to go do something, I I didn't feel right. And that kind of broke in me, especially with it being my husband. That's what made me wake up was like, you know, this is not love. And that just hurted me to the core and just like broke me down. So like, how could you be with somebody and married for 17 years? And then this is what they turn you to doing. So that was the worstest pain that I ever felt. But that pain also gave me strength to get out. Like I said, there's no telling what would I ha- what happened. Thank God I didn't contract any diseases or anything like that. And then never know what destruction I would have been on trying to ease that pain that I was going through by trying to cover it up. And there's no telling if I would have OD'd or anything like that. Mm. I think sometimes it is important to think about where would I be, you know, if there is somebody listening who's kind of in this place of, okay, I know that maybe there's the option to leave, but, you know, I've been in this situation for so long. Thinking through that maybe as an exercise of if Mm -hmm. this continues, where does that leave me? Um, I think is so, so important um, and a great exercise. Yes. You clearly have a strong faith and a spiritual component to your life. When did that begin or how? I've always, like, been in church when I was younger, so it was, like, something that was gifted in me. I did, for years, run from it because I was at the point, especially when I was younger and the things started happening to me, especially with the men and things like that being molested, I did start, like, getting mad at God, and I ran But it was not too much God. It was also like the people I felt like being judged, especially when I had my daughter at 12 years old. I went through so much because where I was from, that was unthinkable to see a child being pregnant at 12. So I had to hear so much. I was shunned to hang around other kids. I had to be forced to be up in a grade level higher than my grade because people was like, she cannot be in a grade with my daughter or around my kids and having this baby. So that forced me to grow up even more. And then it forced me to do things as a mother to provide for that baby because I did say that I was not going to give her up or have an abortion or anything. I think that's such an important thing. We have, as a culture, we tend to blame the victim Mm -hmm. and to stop and think, how did this 12-year-old get pregnant? Somebody's abusing, manipulating this child. That's the way we have to learn to think. Yes. Is there anything else you want to share that we didn't already talk about? I just want to say thank you to End Slavery. I couldn't have made it this far without this great organization. They have been there from day one, and it's not even feel like an organization. It's more like a family. They helped me get my voice back. They helped me do so much that I just couldn't even think that I would have done had it not been for in slavery. Hmm. You did a lot of hard work yourself. Thank you. 
In Slavery, Tennessee thanks Jones Legacy Group for their continued support and exclusive sponsorship of this first season of Someone Like Me. Executive producer is Derry Smith. Producer and editor is Gregory Byerline. Music by Kurt Gobel. If you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm Leslie Eiler-Thompson. Thanks for listening.